Romans chapter number 7, if you join me there, Romans chapter number 7, delighted and excited to get out and getting back in this passage. I apologize for being sick last Wednesday, appreciate Brother Aaron filling in. And Brother Al is coming down the middle aisle, he has some extra outlines if you'd like to follow along, we certainly like for you to do so. We're finishing up the first part of chapter number 7, we'll delve into probably the most famous part, I, I think for many it's the most famous part of the entire entirety of the book of Romans is this little section here. So if you need an outline, get Brother Al's attention, he'll get you one, you can follow along, we'd like for you to do that. Romans chapter 7, let's go ahead and, and uh, let's pick up in verse number 7, it kind of ties the whole passage together as we're going to look towards the end of verse 12 and 13 this evening. Notice it, verse number 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? And that's kind of his introductory question into this sec- section. God forbid, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the, lo- for without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, and we'll reference this verse tonight, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and sin by it, that being the law, slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Well, we saw seen thus far as Roman numeral number one, the objection, the law has made sin. Then he answers that by the outcome. He says, no, 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 here is the ministry of the law. And we've already seen a couple parts here. In fact, three sections of it. First of all, the law reveals man's sinful nature. It exposes, it shows it for what it is. Then the law exposes the rebellion of sin. The reality is the law came along and, whoa, the light was shined upon man's rebellion. And then last but not least, let us see, the law revives sin while confirming the sentence of death. And it revives our knowledge, our, our, our being conscious of the, the sin nature within us and the reality that I am condemned because of that sin. Now we delve into the last point. We want to get to it quickly because I'm looking forward to getting to verse 14 and following, uh, but we don't want to overshoot it either. Verse number 12 and 13 is where we're kind of focusing in on. If you look there once again, and really verse 12 to begin, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. So Paul returns really to the question of verse 7. Remember that question we just read, is the law sin? Here is really his summarizing conclusion to the section. He says, "Uh, is it sin? No, no, no. Far from being sin, notice his description. The law is truly holy, it is just, and it is good. In fact, he repeats the word holy, and if you combine that repetition along with the other characteristics, we would very much say that Paul is saying it's spiritual. It's spiritual. In fact, he says that in verse 14, if you look ahead there. And uh, he basically says, and that, now that is a great uh, or one of the highest ethical descriptions you can give it. But understand what he's, his point is this. When a person is convicted of murder by the law, does the law hold some form of culpability in the whole matter? Does it share in the blame? Is the law at fault? Well, obviously not. It'd be the same thing as you. And maybe you've tried this. Maybe you got pulled over for speed and you said, well, man, if that speed limit wasn't so low, then I wouldn't be here. 
And so all of a sudden we blame that. Now listen, we've heard that in the court of law, there's been many a defendant who's tried to blame the law and say that the law is culpable. Now spiritually speaking, it happens a lot, doesn't it? Has anyone ever said to you this? Have they ever made this statement? I can't see how a loving God sends anyone to hell. Okay, so that statement, and, and it sounds like human expression of misunderstanding or, no, no, really, you know what that is? That's basically saying the law is wrong. It, it really is, and, and we understand it, we've explained it before, it's misinformation that God sends anyone to hell. He doesn't send anyone to hell, sin does. And so uh, the wages of sin, not, not the decision of God is death. No, the wages of sin is death. So understanding, so, but we turn around, we blame the law. Well, that's, yeah, that's just too, uh, well, no, you, you can't blame the law. The law is not at fault here. And we've already seen that the law reveals our sin nature. It exposes the innate rebellion to that sin nature. And it confirms our sentence of death. Though it does all of that, it does not make the law wicked or evil. Not any more than the speed limit sign, because it tells us what the speed limit is, makes that sign evil. In fact, what would we say about a person that was able to keep the whole law in letter and in spirit we say the what well they're pretty spiritual not just pretty spiritual they are spiritual they're perfect they're holy we would say this they're just so really if you step away the law boy if you could keep it it's a good thing and we have an example of that don't we jesus christ what was Christ? Christ was spiritual. Christ was perfect. Christ was holy. Christ was just. Christ was good. Uh, listen, that reflects on what the law is. If you could keep it, man, fantastic. And then Paul anticipates the very next question. Notice it in this next verse, verse 13 specifically. And he gives the ultimate ministry of the law. He says this, the law unveils sin. And specifically, it's heinous act of bringing me to death. The good law shows sin for what it is. And the more of the law that I'm exposed to, the more exceeding sinfulness of my sin is brought to light. So really, and I love the verse, verse 13, notice at the end that the sin by the commandment might become, notice the statement, exceeding sinful. Would you not agree that there are times in people's lives when they hear the gospel, they acknowledge, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad of a sinner. Yeah, I'm not the worst of the worst. So what do they need to come to terms with? Well, frankly, they need to sit down with the Word of God, the law of God, and allow it to expose them in their sin for what it is and to see the exceeding sinfulness of their sin, to break them, to bring them to the realization, whoa, my sin makes me deserving of death and I have no hope otherwise. That's what the law is given to us for. Uh, the Word of God, the law written in our hearts, to, in essence, help us, bring us to this point of understanding the seriousness of sin. That's what Paul's getting at. It's extremely evident here. And this is one area in which the Puritans had it right. I like what they said, Puritans of old. They considered it the preacher's task 
to slay men with the law. Look at verse 11. That's where they kind of get that from, right? For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, the law, deceived me and by it slew me. So the Puritans would say that it was the preacher's responsibility or task to slay men by the law so that they might be raised up by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus Christ. And what they're simply saying in that statement is, listen, the law brings us to the point where we realize we need the Savior. And I I am decimated. I am brought to death literally by the law. I'm revealed that that I, I I have a sentence of death because of sin. Think about it, too. And this ties back to what we talked about a moment ago in the points before. We talked about the deception of sin. The deception of sin. Notice it. To refuse God's law and authority is to embrace the deception of sin. So, so once I refuse God's authority and His law, th- then I have bought in, as we've already studied a couple weeks ago, the deception of sin. And you do away with the law of God, and then I have effectively done away with the sinfulness of my sin. And this plays out all the time. It plays out on grand scheme of things or the grand uh, landscape of things, whether it be, as we've talked recently, of abortion and, and other things, whatever the case may be. Boy, if I can just do away with God's law, then it removes the exceeding sinfulness of my sin. The same thing is true, too. Uh, we try to explain things in our own lives. We, we try to say, well, so-and-so did this to me, so then I, am, uh, I have the right to do this to them. So we kind of explain the law away so that my sin is not so sinful in our own eyes and that's a that's obviously a human response and yet the law is given by god to bring us to the utter end of self-confidence and self-righteousness what is paul saying well he, he did you catch there's a theme flowing throughout death 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 you say, well, that's not very encouraging. Well, I'll tell you this, this evening, there's nothing encouraging about our old nature. There's nothing encouraging about sin. There's nothing encouraging about our own pride, our own self. There, there's, there's nothing in us that's good. And so Paul is beating this point home. He's saying, listen, death, death, death. That's what sin brings. We've seen it for now two chapters. What's the fruit of sin? It is death. And we have to come to the point where we are literally spiritually understanding we are dead. In other words, that's, uh, that sinful nature, who we are, can't just be hurt. It just can't be wounded. We must be slain by the truth of God's law. So literally, we are left helpless. I like the story. There's a story of an old seminarian who was preaching about this passage. Preaching through the passage and in doing so, he was expounding here on these verses before us this evening. As he went about doing so, he was preaching and he started stripping away the veil that was over human wickedness and he was exposing man's utter inability in his flesh and that, that we can't do anything for ourselves, that we need God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit completely. And he preached and he preached hard on the passage exactly what it says well after the service he makes his way back to the back of the 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 auditorium and there as people came out one one lady came up to him and a woman approached him and she just stuck up her finger and her thumb about a half an inch apart he she said brother you make me feel this big to which he simply replied but madam that's too big that's much too big don't you know that that much self-righteousness will take you to hell. And it's a strong statement. I don't know if I could get away with that. 
What was his point? Point is this. If we believe in ourselves this much, then we're in trouble. We believe in our flesh that much, we're in trouble. We think we can gain heaven this much of our effort and this much of Christ, we're in trouble. Because salvation is all of Him. I am in such a sinful state, I am in desperate need of a Savior. To be dead means that I have no life within me. Without Christ, literally, we are spiritually dead. And that is the ministry of the law. To not only expose our deadness, but to bring us to Jesus Christ so that I come to the Savior, the one who died on the cross for me, and I am both dead and needy without any hope apart from Him. It is not only true in salvation, but this is what Paul's getting at. This is the believers. He's saying, listen, in sanctification, the moment we get saved and, and we believe that salvation is all of Christ, amen, and He saved me, praise the Lord, that sometimes it is so easy in our flesh to start thinking that I can sanctify myself. Friend, you and I can't sanctify ourselves. We'll fall flat on our face. That's what the rest of the chapter deals with. That's what Paul's getting at. There's such a huge battle and conflict raging and roaring uh, within us. In fact, look at it. Verse number 14, that's exactly what he says. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I, I'm carnal. I'm sold under sin. This verse almost seems to stand alone in this passage. I, I think it's a perfect segue between the preceding thought and the upcoming section. In this verse, what's he doing? Well, there's a conjunction, but, and so he, we see a contrast. More importantly, he is presenting for us a conflict. And this starts us on part 22, okay? Literary. Part 22, all right? So a conflict is present. He presents the great conflict that every believing man and woman knows, that everyone experiences. This conflict is constant. It's intense. The battle roars on. The sides are drawn daily. And the skirmishes, the skirmishes are endless. The battlefield, it stretches from our heart to our mind and to our conscience. Every believer here, every single one of us that have put our faith and trust in Christ, every believer around the world who is taking breath this evening, they experience this conflict. That is what Paul is stating here in this verse in the following. Literally, the lines are drawn. On the one side stands the law and righteousness as compatriots along with our new nature. He has just explained this law is indeed spiritual. It's holy. It's just. It's good. By its very presence, it exposes and reveals within me the opponent, the enemy. That sinful nature we wrestle with each and every day. Paul says it what? In this verse, it's carnal. It's the flesh. It's fleshly minded. It's earthly minded. And as such, it's a slave to sin. And sin is its master. Notice that statement. It's a great statement. He says, listen, sold under sin. Sold under sin. So therefore, the battle rages. And as I begin my new life in Christ, what does Paul find? I love this passage. I, I hope we get a, a, an understanding of it both tonight and the weeks that follow. It is a tremendous passage. I know it's difficult to read, but I think there's some things we'll share with you in this next couple of weeks that will help you to have a perfect understanding of the passage. And from honestly, from now on, I think you'll, you'll be an expert on it. Um, <laughs> so understand this. What Paul is saying is, hey, hey listen, th this is battle going on. And when I became a, 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 a new believer in Christ, some things changed. 
My inner man not, didn't anymore relish living in sin and enjoying the things of this world. No, no, no. The inner man now wants to follow after God. In fact, here's what he says in verse 19 and 20. He says, I want to do good. I, I want to keep the law. I want to try to please God. Verse 22, he says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So there's within me as I'm saved a desire, uh, a a following after the things that are good, to live holy and righteously. Now, I want to step back a moment. Here's a great testament, a proof of being a Christian. Is it in your heart to do good? Do you delight in following the law of God? Do you have such a, an undeniable desire within you to grow in Christ's likeness? It isn't just something we say. It isn't just something Pastor Henry says every Sunday and Wednesday that we've come to grow more like Christ. No, I really want to know the law, to learn it, to put it into action and application in my own life. I have a desire to do so. That's what Paul says. You're a new man, new, new woman in Christ. You're going to have a desire. You're going to delight in the law of God. It's all through the New Testament, and certainly even in the Old Testament, it is reflected. And it is a great proof that you are a child of God. That you have a desire. Now, I understand, and we can uh, talk about and see passages where the heart can be hardened towards that desire. Where you can be a, become a prodigal son or daughter, I get it. But I'll tell you, if you're saved, you're going to have a desire. You're going to want to. You're going to want to follow after God and be holy and righteous. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to fail at times. But you have a desire and a heart to do what's right. You want to keep the law. You want to please your new Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. But in that desire, what happens? It enrages and it wakes the opponent within. That sinful nature. See, I love this part of this passage because it's a poignant treatise by Paul that expounds upon his perspective now listen, as a humbled, matured believer. Paul is not presenting for us in Romans some pie-in-the-sky, great piety of the Christian life. He's saying, no, no, here's the conflict, the struggle that we all face. And many try to look at this passage and explain their way. Well, that's just, a, that's just an unbeliever. No, this is not an unbeliever. The unbeliever was dealt with in the first few chapters of Romans. And now we're talking about believers that are going through a constant battle and struggle because two enemies are still there. Two opponents are still present, as we'll see outlined for us here. So here is Paul, a humble, mature believer, giving you and I the perspective of what's going on in his life as it also happens in our lives. He is a seasoned saint. This is the Paul of tremendous spiritual growth in the Lord. Speaking about and detailing the day-to-day -day living every Christian experiences. The hidden struggles of the deepest heart. The closer we draw to God, the greater the light is shown upon us. And we see and are greatly grieved by our own sinfulness. That's where Paul's speaking from. When Paul writes Romans, he's, he's speaking brother to brother, brother to sister. See, listen, I, I know that this is what the Christian life is. It's a great conflict. It's a great battle. I mean, it's the, the battle is raging, friend. He said, listen, I, I get it. I know it. And what's amazing, though Paul was one of the greatest teachers, certainly one of the greatest writers of the New Testament, you know what Paul did? Paul maintained a humility he maintained a humility because he knew his own past, a sinner saved by grace. 
and he knew his own heart. See, Paul wrote these things based upon he knew what he was saved from, but he also knew the struggles that were still going on. See, Paul still struggled with things like you and I do. He still had a conflict going on. He, uh, there was this, this battle raging within his heart. Repeatedly, you know what he expressed? He said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. He said, I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I am not even fit to be called an apostle. In, in 1 Timothy, you remember what he said? I am the chief of what? Sinners. I'm the chief. I am the worst. Uh, you, you, you put a list of the worst sinners. I'm there. I am number one. In Ephesians chapter three, verse eight, he told the believers in Ephesus this. He said that I am the, le- I, I am less than the least of all the saints. I am less than the least of all the saints. What is he saying? He said, listen, man, I know my own heart. I know what, what I was saved from and what I did before I came to know Christ. Man, uh, he understands, and you better believe right now, I, I'm, I'm talking to some here this evening, man, preaching, and the reality is some of you, you lived a life 100% different than the life you live now. You lived in the flesh, and you followed after that, and sin ruled and reigned for many years in your life, and now you've come to Jesus Christ. And my friend, like Paul, you're going to experience times where Satan loves to bring up the past. And this conflict we're talking about, you can be assured that Paul, when he talks about these things, man, the thoughts that entered his mind and the guilt and the, the condemnation, and, I mean, it was there. It was real for Paul. So he's speaking from the heart. I want you to see that Romans chapter 7 is an open window into the heart and soul of Paul. Yea, it is an open window into the heart and soul of every Christian. Because if we're honest, and we ought to be honest whenever we come face to face with the mirror of God's Word, you and I are in constant conflict. Don't fool yourself for a moment thinking that you can be so spiritual and and, and walk so close to God that, that, boy, you're not going to have struggles. Friend, listen, this side of heaven, you're going to have struggles. It's going to happen. Paul expounds upon that. Now, certainly, the closer you walk with God, the great news is, the reality is, the more yielded and submitted you will be to the Holy Spirit. And you will see victory more often than defeat. But the struggles will be present. And so here is Paul, and I love this. We've mentioned it before, but let me give you a number about it. Verses 7 through verse 25. <coughs> Paul speaks with personal pronouns, specifically in the, uh, the, the, if we could describe it, the first person singular, 46 times. And that's a lot. 18, 19 verses. A whopping 46 times, Paul says, me, I, I did this, I did this. Pretty amazing if you think about it. He's giving us that glimpse. Now, look at the battle. Let's understand what this is. The first part of the chapter described the enemy force, right? We've seen what sin is. It's grip upon us. And here now, the rest of the book is the conscious and determined battle. The battle is starting. We've identified the enemy in the sense of sin and uh, <laughs> how it's battling against us. Now we're striving to not allow it to master us on a daily basis in our daily living Though it's a powerful enemy, I like to put it this way. Many of you know fighting or whatever, boxing, however you want to describe it, often they'll, they'll bring the fighters and what? They'll stand head-to-head and toe-to-toe, won't they? They'll look at each other and grin at each other and all that good stuff, try to intimidate each other. Well, literally what Paul is almost doing here, honestly, he's bringing the, the spiritual man, 
the new man in Christ, and he's bringing the old nature toe-to-toe, head-to-head, and he's examining and helping us to see what we're facing. So here are the facts. Here are the things that you and I must regularly acknowledge on a day-to-day basis. Look at verse 15. We get into what's sometimes considered confusing. Verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. All right, so for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Now, I love this statement. The first point is this. Let's just jump right in. The first statement that he's making is this. I find myself not doing the good I want to do. So he's talking about this conflict and he's talking, man, there are days where I find in myself and more often than not that that I'm not doing the good that I want to do. It's not happening. I I want it to happen. I I desire it, but it's not happening because there's an enemy and an opponent opponent that's standing against me, that's fighting me every step of the way. Now, understand, this is not an admission by Paul of a secret, full-blown life full of sin. That's all he does. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying either that his life is dominated by sin and that all he does is sin, sin, sin. We understand for one who loves God, knows the law of God, and wants to please God, that person desires to be righteous, holy, perfect, fulfilling the law. But here's reality. You and I, we cannot. We do not measure up to the law completely. Let's just say we started reading through the New Testament tonight. How long do you think we would have to get? How far would we have to read into the New Testament before? Let's, let me put it this way. I said, okay, everybody stand up. And don't do it, by the way. Okay, so unless someone's sleeping, let's see who's sleeping. They stand up now. Okay, we used to do that in Bible college, you know. Someone falls asleep, you nudge them and say, hey, teacher asked you to pray. And they'd stand up and start praying. It was really embarrassing. And it's very fun, though. So do that in church sometime. We'll have a good laugh. But no, don't do that. Okay, well, what if I asked you all to stand up? And I said, okay, when I start reading through the New Testament, when we come across a command of Christ, something you and I ought to do, and, and, and let's be honest, you didn't fulfill it this week. You haven't fulfilled it since the beginning of the year, whatever. You failed sometimes with it. You'd be seated. Can I ask you, how far do you think we'd get before everyone was sitting down? If we started Matthew and started going through, I don't know about you, but I, I can think of a few things in Matthew that would shoot me right down in my seat. Or I failed. I don't think we'd have to get very far. And so what Paul's saying, he, he's not saying, hey, well, boy, we just, I just give in to sin and I just, I just roll over and my life is full of sin. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. Man, I have such a desire to fulfill the word of God, to live up to the law of God. But you know what? I, I consistently find myself not measuring up. I'm in this conflict daily where my old nature and the the flesh fights me. And boy, I fail. I mess up. It's not that I don't do some good. It's not that I don't please God in some areas and ways. It's that in my heart and soul, I want to fulfill the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. But often I falter in one area or another. I don't do all the good I want to do. I don't fulfill all that's in my heart's desire to do. 
It isn't that there's this some unconfessed sin or unrepented of besetting sin. No, the reality is this. It's the new man, the inner man, that has caught the glimpse of the glory and holiness of God and doesn't like the idea that he falls short of it. Paul says, man, I've studied the law and, and I, 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 I know it and I want to, I want to fulfill it, but I find myself not doing so. It's a painful realization that I am unable to be all that God wants me to be. That because of this carnal, carnal, sinful nature within, I don't measure up. That's what he says. Now, some of the world will say, man, if, that, if you can't succeed, why try? Well, Romans chapter 8 tells us that we can gain the victory. But the point is here, listen, this struggle is happening. It's taking place. Then he puts it another way in the same verse. Did you catch what else he says? Uh, not only is this that I find myself not doing the good I want to do, but I find myself doing the evil I don't want to do. So not only do I find myself not doing the good that I want to, but now I'm doing the evil that I don't want to do. It's not just about reaching the perfect standard of God's law, living that good and holy life that I desire to engage in, but I also find myself doing the opposite, doing the things that my sin nature constrains me to do. He says this, really, in times of weakness, I give in to it. I submit myself to the one who is no longer my master. I go back to the one to whom, from whom I was delivered from, sin. I like how one commentator put it as you fill in those blanks. Listen carefully. I, I, I think this is a good way of stating it. He says this, Every well-taught and honest Christian is aware that his life falls far short of God's perfect standard of righteousness and that he falls back into sin with disturbing frequency. He is no longer of his former father, the devil, John 8, 44. He, is, he no longer loves the world, 1 John 2, 15. And he is no longer sin's slave. But he is still subject to the deceit, uh, to the deceit of sin, excuse me, and is still attracted by many of its allurements. Yet, the Christian cannot be happy with his sin because it is contrary to his new nature and because he knows it grieves the Lord and his own conscience. So Paul is expressing that, man, this is, this, I, I don't do the things I want to do. I, I, I do the evil that I don't want to do. And, and he's not saying all the time, this is not a description of oh, my whole life. No, no, no. He's just saying, man, I want to be 100% perfect and holy. Do you, do you wish for that, Christian? Do you, do you strive for that? Because that's what Paul's saying. Man, I delight in fulfilling the law of God. But he's being a realist. He says, listen, I fall. That old nature and that flesh, man, they, they trip me up and they, they, they cause me to fall and falter. So just how is it possible? Why is there such a struggle within me? As a believer, why is there such a struggle within me to do what I, uh, to do what I want to do and not to do that which I don't want to do. It, it, I know what it is. If I didn't have this Bible and the law, then I wouldn't struggle so much. If I didn't have all these commands and these standards and these things here, then, then I would not falter so much. Wouldn't we be better off without it? See, that, that's the deception of sin, isn't it? 
We studied it. We saw it just a, uh, a few services ago. The reality is that's the deception of sin. Trying to convince. Look at verse 16. This is what Paul, how Paul answers it. If I then, or if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is bad. No. I, I consent unto the law that it's, it's fault. No. I consent unto the law that it is good. So Paul says, listen, no, 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 it's not showing the law is evil, is bad. No, the law is proven to be, is not proven to be sin to me or causing me to do wrong. In fact, it's just the opposite. It shows me my sin. It reveals my falling short. It helps me by pricking my conscience and convicts me. In this, what's Paul saying? The law, the law is good for me. It is good as that it's presently, in its presence, excuse me, it sheds light on my enemy and as we will see that sin within that sin nature the law is good for me it is good that it is there present shedding light on my enemy and as we will see in these upcoming verses the sin within let me give you an illustration because this is crucial again because there are many people who run away from the law of god See, I've known many a Christian who, who, who follow after Christ. They choose to follow Him. Then they strive to live according to God's Word. And you know what they find out? They consistently fall. With frequency, they're sinning. They're sinning their life. And man, I just can't do this. And so what do they do? Well, man, I, then we start disregarding the law of God. I just get rid of the law because then, then I don't feel like I have to live up to that. And I don't feel, hey, you, you, we're, we're missing a crucial point. We'll see in chapter 8. My friend, you'll never live up to the law in and of yourself. It's only the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that. And yet, even with that, what are we going to fail in doing? Do you always, Christian, yield to the Holy Spirit? <laughs> do you ever act in the flesh? I know I do. So even in this, Paul's giving us a, a great example and a great encouragement. Listen, we're gonna, let me give you an example of this, and I, I, it helps me. Okay? South of, of town here, on the side of the road, there's a contraption that I've alluded to before that some of you have grown to dislike. It sits on the east side of the road near the fire station. It points to the south of town. It has wonderful lights that shine at you. Sometimes they flash at you. In fact, the, the machine is rather friendly. You see, if you're going the speed limit of 35, it shows your speed. You know what it says? Thank you. It says thank you. It is a very kind machine. I mean, it really is. You think about it, it says thank you. It's bright green letters. But boy, you go over that speed limit, and those letters turn a mean red. And what does it say to you? Wow, many of you know it way too well. That was a test. You failed. Slow down, right? And if you go over 40, not that I've tested it, if you go over 40, guess what? Slow down, flashes. Doo, doo, doo. Like a mad, angry machine. I think you can even see smoke coming from the machine. It's angry. You're going too fast. Now, I'm telling you, there's some people who drive by there and think in their minds, I hate that machine. That my machine wasn't there. Boy, oh. I, I mean, think about it. Now, I'll tell you right now. I, that thing helps me. I'm glad for it. It's sitting there. It shows you're going over the speed limit. It tells you to slow down. Some of you think, oh, no, that's bad because it does that. No way, it's good. In fact, last Friday night, 
I was coming back to the, the, the church here. The girls were getting back from a basketball game about 8.30. I'm coming down here, and, and as sometimes happens, I don't know about you, but my mind can wonder. Can your mind ever wonder when you're driving? And all of a sudden, I see that sign blashing, and boy, I'm like, oh, I guess we're going to slam on my brakes to get down to 35 real quick. And I do, and I'm glad I did. You know why? Because there's a sneaky cop sitting right there in that fire. He had his lights off. He was watching that machine. He was aimed towards the road, just waiting for somebody to come by and offer donations. I was telling you, I was thankful for that. Why? Because you know what that law did and that machine encompassing or picturing the law? You know what it did? It, it was good for me. You know what the law is? Hey, don't blame it when you and I fail. Let it do its job reminding us that we need the Lord. So when you and I are saved, and I'll tell you, between now and Sunday, the reality is I'll probably send somewhere along the way. <gasps> Pastor Henry, you'll send? Yeah. This old flesh is strong, and I battle it every day as you do. But here's the good news. fact is, every day the law reminds me that I can't do it. That's why I need Jesus Christ. I need to read my word. I read the word. I need to spend time in prayer. I need to cry out to Him. I need to make sure that on a daily basis, I am yielded and submitted to the Holy Spirit. See, Paul is simply saying that this is what the law does for us spiritually. It is truly good. When you falter and fail, when I falter and fail, we, we don't look at the word, God's Word. This is ridiculous. Why does, why does God want me to do this? I don't understand why, why He puts that in the Bible. I don't understand why I have to live up to that. No, 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 no. Get mad at who you should get mad at. That's the enemy within. That old sin nature that's fighting you and I and will fight us until we graduate to heaven. And so next week, we'll get to what Paul says in this passage. Here's where you need to look at. Here's what you need to be aware of. And I tell you, we'll get to it. I love this passage. We'll break it apart, and we'll see what he talks about this conflict taking place.